Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 193. 193. Ryan, we are stepping out of the ice age of Texas. We are warm. We have power. Hoping everybody else uh, listening in Texas is doing all right, have water, power, energy, heat. Um, what a week last week, Ryan. Man, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah, man, it was. Uh, I know that luckily for you and me, we somehow came out unscathed for the most part. A lot of our neighbors necessarily didn't, and so uh, we were kind of just, I don't know how, but you know, I thought I thought I had a busted pipe on one of my, on my outside faucets, but it didn't, so... Um, but our neighbor, I think I told you, you know, like they have a, their house is carved into the, into the river. And so um, the, the, it's got three floors because of that. And so all three floors are ruined because they had a, like a pipe burst. And so it just dripped through. So they're out like three to six months of their house. And so you just go, oh man, we had other people. I know y'all saw some folks in the neighborhood who had some uh, bad stuff. So anyway, so yeah, so we came out clean somehow without power for a little while. But other than that, it was, it was, you know, all things considered, can't complain. Uh, as you say, everyone out there, hope you guys are well and safe, and uh, you're warm now at least because it's Texas and it's going to be what 70 degrees today. It's yeah, a- yeah. I tell you what, we we were without power for a couple of days, and uh, we have an electric fireplace, which was a huge mistake. Never do that, guys. Uh, that is not the way to go. So uh, we lived out in a car for for uh, you know about 36 hours out of that two days, just trying to stay warm uh you could have came over to my house we invited you you wouldn't come well i heard there was a little sickness going on over there and i couldn't handle being <laughs> icicles and sick so <laughs> oh man but yeah so anyways um so yeah hope everyone's doing well and before we get into the podcast the show is sponsored by the war room newsletter the war room newsletter has coverage of all kinds of things u.s international uh, markets stuff like that so um, if you want to support Josh and myself, the best way to do that is go to uh, or use link in the show notes. So we, you get 30% off uh, forever. So if the price goes up, you're still getting 30% off uh, your yearly or monthly rate, which is 70 bucks for a year, $7 for the month. Help Josh and your boy out. Four years in, Josh, four years in to this podcast. And so we're saying, hey, you know what? Throw a few bones away. Seven bucks a month. I mean, that's like... Uh, you drink one of them fancy mocha latte deals from Starbucks. You're always getting something like that. So I guess one of those a month, right? Yeah. yeah. One of those a month. And so, uh, anyways, so help the show out, support the show. We would really appreciate it. And the War Room newsletter uh, comes out, depending on what we have going on, two to four times a week. Has, has some pretty uh, robust discussions in there, I think. So, um, Joshua, let's see here. I know we have David Blackman coming on here in a little bit. Um, a couple of reviews, a couple of reviews that came in. We go there next. Go yeah, we'll go there next. Just, just rip it off, band aid. Just rip it off. So there's two. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna spin this for you. I got to spin here. We have a two star and a three star, which combines to make a five star. Uh, right. Yeah. So we don't take anything less than a five star. So we'll read this as one review, I think, because it's one five star review, right? Um, podcast on wearing masks. Why waste time on opinions on wearing masks and oil and gas podcast? If I want to learn about COVID, I'd go elsewhere. Not here for your bad COVID takes. Love the oil and gas commentary, though. 
So that is one five-star review. When you combine a two and a three together, you get one five-star <laughs> review. Um, and listen, we understand that, you know, that, that, that folks are, um, they're here for oil and gas, but you know who to blame? The listener. We had a listener on our live stream bring up the, bring up the mask thing, right? Well, I think we brought something up and then they, so, you know, can't have both ways. You want to engage, we engage, and then you get mad. I, I'll just say this. Um, for the for the folks, if you want to if you actually want to engage on COVID takes, email me. Be happy to talk about it anytime. I'll bring you on inside the war room. We'll have a very, very lengthy discussion on the topic if you so desire. However, I got a feeling because you can't put your real name out there, we will not hear from you. Um, we do have a, a true five star though from Rhino54326. Listen to you guys weekly on my way into Marcus Hook, Pennsylvania. ETF, ETP, sorry. Uh, very good to the point podcast. Keep him up to date. And thank you very much. See, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. Love us or hate us. We need that artificial. We need that. We need to say that we're great. We're geniuses. This is a great podcast. Listen, we've got wives and four kids, five kids, respectively. <laughs> we get criticized routinely. Like we don't, <laughs> we don't need that in the reviews. Okay. We come here for an ego boost. Okay. We can't, we can't take it. If you don't like our COVID takes, that's fine. Just slide to us or at least put it behind a five-star review. We can't come here. <laughs> I'm going to go this podcast. I got, I got, you know, four kids coming home this afternoon or three kids coming home this afternoon from school. Josh has got five right around his house and I've got one here right now. It's chaos. So this is like a reprieve. It's like our safe spot. Um, so go ahead and drop those five stars. We're trying to get to 300 before we get to our four-year anniversary, which is coming up in a couple weeks. Well, Ryan, uh, there's been lots of information coming out. Um, if you didn't know what ERCOT was last year, now you do. Um, they are the ones in charge of uh, energy, inter- Texas energy policies. Uh, so, there's a lot that went on this week, Ryan. Uh, your the, the war room. I think I think the the article that uh, that you released, uh-huh. yeah, yeah it, it was probably the best article on ERCOT and Texas and exactly what happened in existence in the world. Probably, uh, I mean it. The, the the, I mean, it, I, I was that once a month. Well, actually, this was free, but yes, it was it was a good one. Mark Sano it. So I got a question for you, Josh. Because let's talk about this. The question that I've been weighing in my mind. Um, so let's take the people across the street who had their their pipes burst. Okay. And so their house is ruined and they have homeowners insurance in this case. I don't know how that works typically. And so they're covered. Um, uh, I, I guess mine said a deductible. I don't know all the details, but they're basically covered. So they're getting put up in a condo. Their expenses are covered. My question to you is generally speaking, this is not a windstorm or a tornado kind of the act of God that blows over the, the infrastructure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something like that. This is a, a cooling, extreme cooling tip of time, and the grid wasn't able to handle it. Should ERCOT or whomever, and you know whoever, be liable for damages in this case? That's interesting questions. I've been thinking about that as well because it's not that a transformer went out, they lost power, and everything happened. What happened specifically was a company decided to stop allocating power to their house, which caused all these damages. Now. Just, just to be clear, too, one of the things that actually makes sense to me, and I know a lot of people are upset. I mean, I was, I was cold, didn't like it, but I also understood that the goal for ERCOT, if I understand it correctly, was to make sure that power to hospitals was maintained. Yeah. Now, hospitals is not all there is, but that's a big one. 
And so if you were in a certain vicinity of hospitals, then your power was much more protected, say, than someone like me, who's, you know, maybe 20 miles away from one. Um, that makes sense to me to do that. I think for the government to try to protect these areas so that if, if there is an outage, is there a way they can reroute energy to these hospitals? It's unfortunate when people lose energy, but it makes sense to at least have a goal to keep that in place. Um, the issue is, one, who decides who loses and gets energy because they may reroute it from, say, two neighborhoods and leave a third one alone. But who, who who's in charge of this? Because is there a chance that that third neighborhood, you know, are they are they lobbyist donors or whatever? To <laughs> right. you know, you, you start getting all these problems that that happen. Yeah, so it's it's hard. It's a hard question. I I don't know if they're liable or not. I think. Uh, yeah, well, let me ask you like this. So, um, again, and, and I don't. I want to be very care, very clear that we mean you didn't have any problems with our house. So we're kind of speaking outside, looking in on, on at least this problem. Um, but you know, if if there's a pipeline leak on the next property over to bring kind of a direct oil and gas type problem, the pipeline leak and it and the and the, and the seepage from the oil gets on your property. Well, we all agree that the pipeline company should be held liable for that. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter in, unless the farmer or someone struck the pipeline to cause it. Um, if it's just a leak that happens, the pipeline companies should be held liable to whatever extent the damages are done. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Okay? If This is kind of how I view the power company. Um, so on some level, I have my house that I purchased, um, been in for four years now, right? Um, and I don't have it winterized beyond whatever it was when I purchased it, because I presume generally speaking, the power will be on 24, seven, 365. Now I know if there's a hard freeze and limbs break, that some lines might go down. I might lose power for 12 hours for 24 hours. Like I, I understand that that's kind of right. Cause you can't control all factors all the time, but I generally presume that there could be, um, barring an act of God, to use the term, that I'm going to have power. Mm-hmm. This, so the storm is, you could say the act of God, but this is also bad preparedness. And so because of that bad preparedness, you have people who were out of power for two days, three days, four days, five days. And that to me is not the same as saying, well, there was a limb that fell on a power line and it messed up power, hood to the, um, power to the neighborhood and power is out for 24 hours and something bad happened. Like, that's terrible, that's bad, but this is uh bad preparedness and so it's a trait but then you have to be careful saying well this is a once in a 10 year event so do you want to pay more for it so you get into all these questions um and i don't want to i don't have an answer today but i've been thinking about it i was curious your thoughts because um we don't want to say well they can't be liable because this was kind of a tough thing but we also don't want to say they're, they're liable for every time the power goes out either you know there's, cause there's, there's that fine line so yeah. i don't have an answer i'm just curious and, and if listeners have a thought i'd love to hear their thoughts as well yeah, so as as it stands right now, um, so give me some examples of of what's going on in our neighborhood. We have a lot of folks out here. Uh, this is this was ranked the number six retirement community in the nation. Um, our next door neighbor was on oxygen and uh, lost power, so he couldn't run his oxygen tank. So he he was in a frenzy. He had people that were trying to to come in and help. There were a lot of people that did not have access to things that they really desperately needed. And the, the ERCOT, when they shut it off, there were other neighborhoods 
all outside of our neighborhood that we're getting it. Now, the issue is, is we have a really big neighborhood, so you could get a lot of energy reallocated by just shutting off this neighborhood. But if somebody dies, if some, I mean, there's all sorts of liabilities that could stack up with, with ERCOT. Uh, that's possible. That, that, so let, yeah, let's, take that, let's take that neighbor example. That's a good one. Cause that's, that's one of the things I was mentioning earlier, but you, you knew some folks. Okay. So if a tornado blows a tree onto a power line and the power goes out um, or, or, or a hard freeze, let's just say either way, the power goes out. And, the, and in this case, the gentleman did not die, but in this case, um, this makeup case, power is knocked out because of a wind storm or something like that and the person dies because they can't get their oxygen you know i don't think you could say they're liable in that case right yeah absolutely okay. this is yeah. a little bit different it seems because there is some there is a level that you could have done to prepare um and they were deciding who would and would get power but my understanding is that if they didn't do that they were afraid the whole grid could collapse for like months or at least a month um, so they had, so their argument is, well, we had to do this. Um, so I, I, you know, again, I don't have the answers. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking through future thoughts, but I think that's kind of the thing is that if the tornado blows it, blows this, blows this transformer up or these power lines down and the old person dies because they didn't have power and they froze to death or it was too hot. They couldn't get their oxygen. That's terrible. It's sad. Don't ever happen again. But also I don't know if they're liable. I don't know if, they, if the power company would be liable in that case. Um, in this case, though, with lack of preparedness, and also maybe you could say that, and this curious your thoughts here, Josh, maybe you could say, well, okay, there's not much they could have done except for warn you before, like, Sunday night, <laughs> like like a week ago, hey, this might happen, and if this happens, here's where we're thinking about we're taking the power out, because they know the power usage. It's not like they, they don't know where the power is being sucked from, to your point, right? Yeah. So maybe they could say, hey, if you're in these spots, we're likely to take your power away for 24 hours or whatever. I don't know. Those are just some thoughts, but um. yeah, well that, that would have been very helpful because uh, had it not been for, for you letting me know, I would have had no anticipation of being out without power. Uh, so I, I kind of expected to be without power for 48 hours, hope that I wouldn't be, but basically expected it based on what you said. And so we were able to go and, and get a few things and get kind of ready you know, and I say ready, I mean, we didn't have, we just had, you know, finger food, stuff that we could eat, you know, as we knew that, you know, the refrigerator wouldn't really cook. We got covers and stuff all set up. So when it went out, it was like, okay, well, we, we're, we're kind of ready uh, for it. It would have been very helpful. It would have had two weeks of it, you know, of a, in advance. We may have went and got a hotel or planned to go somewhere or with Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> first nice time we were down there um you know to the point is a listener texts me like hey this this grid stuff is uh is concerning so um so that's how i knew so thank you to the listener you know who you are i won't say your name because i think you want to be anonymous but i we appreciate it all right we have our good friend uh guest david blackman he's a forge contributor and uh he over at the shell mag and check him out. He puts out stuff, I think every day or at least all the time, week. man. Yeah. Uh, well, so David, great to have you back on the show. We've, uh, we've had a crazy week this week here in Texas. Sure and, uh, yeah. So we wanted to talk with you about, uh, ERCOT, you know, me and Ryan been, have been talking about that for, you know, last, last few minutes. And we've been discussing that the whole concept of liability, you know, are these energy companies, you know, if, if, 
people lose power. They don't have oxygen. They can't, they can't use their machines or um, their house pipes bust because they can't keep the house warm. What sort of liability is there or is there actually, or what sort of liability should there be for these companies? Yeah, you know, it, I, that's a good question. I, I, as I told you a little bit, bit ago, I'm not a lawyer, so I, you know, but I, you know, the reality is I don't think any of them were actually violating any regulations, you know, uh, they haven't been required, unfortunately, I think erroneously by Texas officials to winterize their facilities. They've known about the need. I mean, certainly since 2011, when we had a very similar event and similar blackouts uh, caused by all kinds of plants freezing up and wind turbines freezing up. Um, you know, after that event, the PUC and the legislature should have mandated winterization of these facilities. But they chose not to do that for political reasons, largely, and because the cost would ultimately fall on consumers. They didn't want to have to answer phone calls from constituents complaining about power bills. Uh, and so we've had a replay here 10 years later. Um, so should there be liability? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I mean, the, the simple reality is um, I don't believe any of the power providers or pipeline companies or producers uh, we're violating any of the rules. Uh, so I think the problem is with the rules, frankly. And if there's any liability, it ought to be at the voting booth. Hey, oh, hey, amen. Amen. <laughs> I just came up with that, by the way. <laughs> amen, I like that. Uh, well, I don't want to pound this home too much to my own guests up as well. But I, one of the things we've said on this podcast for, for well, four years now, I guess, is, you know, because we're anti-regulation in the sense of we don't want draconian rules. We, sure, want, me too. we want people to be held liable when they make mistakes like you would anywhere else. And so now to your point, you don't want probably frivolous lawsuits that are just draining these companies every day. And so it's kind of a hard balance, but um, it's a discussion that I think we need to kind of have as, 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 a, as, a, as people here in Texas going, you know, how do we deal with this? Because, okay, well, they weren't required to by the state. Well, does that give them immunity from not doing it? And if so, and so um, it's a tough question, but my, my fear is that you go too far one way where you get, you know, extreme regulation and it's like, okay, well, that didn't work. And then the other, the other way is, you know, there's people being sued. There needs to be more, and this, I, I would say, we're talking about, there needs to be more of a clear understanding of what is the contractual obligation yeah. between the proper provider and the homeowner. Because, Like I was telling Josh, if if I would have known, to, to your point, if I, if I understood fully that, hey, they don't, they're not obligated to provide me power when it gets really cold. I would probably get my pipe <laughs> insulated. You know, I'd yeah. probably do things differently. Have a backup generator. Have backup yeah. generators, right. You know, so if, if the general public maybe understood that, that would, so I don't know how you fix that problem, um, but I'm always kind of reluctant to say, and I, I agree with you in the voting. I booth. know how you fix it. Go ahead. I'll tell you how you fix it. You, you, you fix it by completely reforming ERCOT and, and hiring all new staff to staff ERCOT. Because ERCOT's known for 10 years that we weren't building any uh, any uh, new baseload capacity in this state. We haven't built a new gas power plant in 10 years. Haven't built a coal plant in 25 or 30 years. Haven't built any new nuclear in a quarter of a century. Um, so, I mean, what did they think was going to happen? And meanwhile, they're incentivizing. All they're doing is incentivizing more and more renewables to be put on the system. And, and I don't have an issue, any problem with renewables, okay? 
they have a place, they have a role to play mm. here. But when you're in a weather emergency, whether it be the, the middle of August and the heat or the middle of winter and a freezing storm like this, they're worthless. They're useless to us. Okay. We have to have adequate base load and we have to have a surplus of base load capacity. Most states, it's 20%. Well, we don't even have 10% surplus in Texas. And ERCOT has known that for a decade and done nothing. And the PUC has known that for a decade and done nothing. And the legislature should have known it for a decade and done nothing. So uh, we interviewed Christy Craddock on our radio program yesterday, you know, and I, and she was great, by the way, didn't make any excuses. She was fantastic, really made me feel a lot better about where we might be going here. Uh, but, you know, I closed the show just by saying, look, we can't do nothing again like we did in 2011. So I, I just think you either have to have a complete change of attitude among the people who run ERCOT or just replace them all. And maybe even just create a new state agency rather than this 501c4 organization. I mean, why are we running our state's power grid through a nonprofit organization for crying out loud. I never have understood that. But anyway, we have to have accountability here. That's where you start to fix the problem is by holding the people who messed up accountable. And the first people who really messed up, who we know really messed up, and Governor Abbott has been, you know, telling us for a week now, is ERCOT. So that's, that's where you start. And I, I just think it's got to ex extend from there. Josh, I think I'm going to formally nominate David Blackman to take over ERCOT. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he won't need any staff. Oh, well, my God. Man. <laughs> well, I think, I think uh, from, from my perspective, given, the, given their lack of preparedness, I think they were kind of forced to reallocate energy and shut down. And, yeah. and so at oh, that point, no they're kind of, yeah, they're, they had no choice at that point. Um, and that's where I don't know about liability in terms of, I think the liability had to be, for lack of activity over the last 10 years, not getting prepared. Yeah. Like you said, and, and let me tell you how unprepared they were last Wednesday. What was that? February 9th, Wednesday before last, mm. when the first of the three cold fronts was hitting us, ERCOT had a board meeting and they spent, it was a two hour meeting apparently. And they discussed uh, preparation for this cold event for 45 seconds in a two hour meeting. Literally 45 seconds of a two-hour meeting. Well, so that's where their mind was. They, they, they weren't even worried about it. Well, why weren't they worried about it? I can't even imagine why they weren't worried about it. But it just it's just maddening to me. It's mind-boggling, and I, I know I'm going off here. So I guess Well, no, I mean, I, I think one of the things, just we'll, we'll on all the gas stuff after this to let you respond, but one of the things that, that to me is frustrating is that if you are a free market person like I am, you have to hold – the people that are dictating and moving the free market responsible, or you will get the, the results that you don't want. And so, right. and so, and so when we're, you know, one of the frustrations that I see with maybe more of my, my left leaning friends is they're like, Oh, well, you know what it's the a new, a new government committee to solve. It's like, no, 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 that's <laughs> not going to, that's going to make it worse. That's how we got here. So we have to unpack this thing and talk about it. And it's not easy. And that's what most, unfortunately, no, it's not easy. Yeah, and that's what happens to most of us is that we go, well, how do what liability? I don't know. Prepared, you know, how do you fix it? And we go, ah, well, someone will take care of it, and then we're off to the next thing, and we forget about it, and it's a problem. So it's 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 not an easy problem to fix, but 
Um, it's something that we, I think we have to learn if you want to live in a free society, free market, whatever you want to call it. Um, you have to deal with these issues, think about them, talk about them, hear different perspectives because um, everyone's kind of got a little different angle and then really put the onus on people who are in power to solve it, whether it's voting, whether it's uh, litigation, whatever it is. If you don't, then we'll just come you know, 10 years from now. and or, Be right back. Yeah, because we get one of these events every 10 years, folks. It's like, it's like clockwork. I think when, when I lived in Louisiana, before I left, I was still, we were still paying for the Hurricane Katrina disaster relief, and that was been back in 2016. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> a little bit different there. Okay, so let's talk about oil and gas, David. Um, as I'm looking at right now, WTI is at 61.15, Brent's at 64.65, natural gas is $2.90. Um, okay, so are we back? Are we, is, is, is it... <laughs> Are we back or are we setting ourselves up for a, um, a steep fall here in the next few months? Well, you know, I, I think uh, two weeks ago, I'd have probably said we, we may be setting up for a steep, steep fall. But right now we have so much refining capacity offline in this country right now. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of shut in production for a while because it's going to take several weeks to get all the refineries back up and running. Um, and so actually, I think we, we may be in a situation where the price goes even higher. I guess it must be up $2 today yeah. um, alone. And, you know, we had to shut in 3 million barrels a day during this COVID event here in Texas. Um, and a lot of that's going to remain shut in for a while. I just think that uh, the, the situation right now just continues to improve in terms of causing momentum uh, inertia for higher prices, crude prices. And here's the other thing that, that people don't talk a lot about, but over the last three years, since we've had the price, really a low price environment since 2016, four years now, um, we, we haven't invested much in new reserves, finding new reserves all over the world. And so uh, foregone an awful lot of, of new investments in, in drilling. And uh, here two years from now, we could be sitting at $100 oil again because of that with a very tight supply and demand situation. Um, and particularly, uh, you know, you, you look out today and now there's a lot of chatter in the news media about this uh, pandemic uh, essentially having run its course by April. I know that doesn't really fit with the agenda of the Biden administration, but uh, that's really kind of the way it looks like it's trending. And, uh, you know, if that's really the case, then demand's going to return with force uh, when the late spring summer driving season comes around, well, so all that agitates for higher prices. When you say it's over, are you talking about we can fly freely without mask on and move freely? Or are you talking about we just don't have to hear about it every day in the news media? Well, we should be able to, but I don't think the government's going to, you know, permit that. I mean, the the agenda of this administration is to keep us wearing masks forever, basically. Anthony Fauci over the weekend was talking about, oh yeah, we're going to still be wearing masks through 2022. Well, yeah. there's no data that supports that. I mean, there's just nothing. Florida's basically open right, right now. Right. State of Florida is a great example. 22 million people in a, in a state third the size of Texas. Mm. State's open. People aren't wearing masks. They're wearing masks very haphazardly. People are dining in inside restaurants. They're at full capacity. There is no outbreak of the, of the virus. Their, their cases are going down just like everywhere else in the country. Hospitalizations going down just like everywhere else in the country. 
So, but but the administration has an agenda here to keep us wearing masks. So, no, I don't think we'll we'll be without masks. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they mandate us wearing two masks at one time here pretty soon, <laughs> just to keep the agenda going. You know, but I, the reality is the rest of the world's going to deal with the pandemic as it is happening. Mm-hmm. And as it is happening, it's trending downwards. Well, it's interesting. Just as an aside, there's a good piece. Um, I can't remember who the author was about how China's handled the pandemic and basically how they had moved on from the pandemic by and large yeah. March of last year. And so they'll have occasional shutdowns where they'll lock down something, but for the most part, they've kind of moved on and here we are uh, chasing our tails. Yeah. Um, with the most cases of any country in the world. So let me ask you this, because here's my, my, my concern with the higher oil prices. If you look at food prices, soybean, corn, all these things, you know, they are sky high right now. Yeah. You know, can, yeah. we af- can, can we afford higher oil prices? You know, can the general consumer who unemployment is still pretty high, can, can we actually afford higher oil prices? And what happens to an economy where you have these um, you know, gasoline prices going up, uh, food costs going up, and people just don't have as much money to spend? Yeah, I, I just have to laugh every time I see a publication about the rate of inflation. I, I have no idea how that's calculated anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, my food prices where I where I shop for groceries here in Mansfield, probably up 30% year over year. Gasoline prices are up 40 cents a gallon since election day. Um, yeah, we got inflation and, and we got it big. And that's, you know, going to be a problem for the economy, obviously, I think. And I, it was already kind of a precarious economic situation. So I'm pretty worried about that too. Um, I just don't know how much, how much we can really sustain, especially if we're going to have states like California continuing these draconian lockdown orders and, you know, that, that just kill jobs and kill small businesses. Um, you, you really do kind of have to wonder how much the economy can bear in terms of higher fuel prices. But we have them, you know, I mean, we already have them and they're going higher. Yeah, no, they, they, they are. And it's, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> just some of yeah. and, it, the, and, the, and just as an aside, some of the food stuff is, is that, you know, if there are, there's some concerns about the soybean production in Brazil, might not meet the standards. You might even have other factors that, that inflate the price a little bit more. Um, okay, so the prices are high. We're going to see folks drill. I, I know there's <laughs> folks with people talking about hedging out through 2022. Um, Boy. Yeah. yeah, that's a <laughs> okay. tough call. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I think every company's got to be looking at that right now. But boy, how do you call? How do you make that call right now? Well, it's, that was my question. So um, I was writing a, a thing for something last night, and it said, you know, will the Saudis put their, their production back on the market? And I said, if I was the Saudis, I would do everything I can right now to stop the price from going up. You know, you, you, if I'm the Saudis, I want it to be, you know, we'll talk about WTI price, WTI 60 bottom out at 50 and then dip below 50 every now and then just to make sure you kind of get that fear in the U.S. market. What do you think the Saudis are going to do? Because, I mean, I don't uh, stop it, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I, you know, of course, I don't have any real uh, knowledge, but if I was them, I'd have to be thinking about whether I want to continue to keep that extra million barrels a day off the market, you know, that they're doing in February and March. Um, seems like with U.S. production, you know, having been shut in so deeply here and likely to be down for the coming several weeks, uh, they might want to say, hey, OPEC plus countries, we're actually going to put that million, extra million back in because we need to rebalance supply and demand globally. Um, 
And that's, that's, of course, always the big question in all of this situation is what is OPEC plus going to do? Because it is the real wild card factor in, in the entire global equation. Uh, they still, what are they keeping now? 7.2 million barrels a day off the market, I think, still under that agreement. Uh, it's going to go down by half a million barrels, I guess, next month. So it'll be 6.7 a day. Uh, that's an awful lot of potential production to keep off the market. And so, you know, that thing's got to keep holding together for prices to, to stay even at these levels. Um, and that's always the wild card here is how long can that last? Um, so we'll just have to wait and see, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Saudis, you know, kind of say, you know what, uh, that extra million a day doesn't make any sense right now. Well, switching gears back to uh, kind of the, the opportunity that may be coming up for some companies to capitalize, being that Texas doesn't have a strong enough base load, I think you mentioned uh, we need 20% surplus uh, base load capacity. There's a great opportunity for coal or, uh, or nuclear. I mean, what are the chances that Texas would do something like that, especially under this current administration? Yeah, you know, it's just so hard to get coal or nuclear permitted. Uh, through mm. the EPA, the federal permits that are required. Uh, even though you're building in Texas, you still have to get the federal emissions permits. And that's really, really hard to do. Uh, the, you know, the issue over the last decade has been profitability uh, and, and how, you know, what, what is the potential return on investment of building new baseload? So in the first 10 years of the deregulated market that, that was implemented in 99, by the state of Texas, we had high natural gas prices. And, and what gets very little discussion in how that system works is, you know, power providers are able to base their fuel charge on your monthly electric bill. You've got the, you know, you've got the base generation charge and you've got the, the itemized for the, for the fuel charge. So they're able to base that charge on, on the, the highest cost fuel source that they have in their mix. And for the first 10 years, natural gas prices were really high and they were able to base that fuel charge on the marginal nat nat natural gas price when it was six to $12 an MMBTU. Well, thanks to the shale revolution, we, we suddenly went from a, a very tight supply of natural gas to this overabundance of natural gas. Prices collapsed down to the $3 range where they still are 10 years later. And so that profitability of building new natural gas kind of dissipated. And no one in the Texas government, knowing this, I mean, we've all, I've been aware of it since 2009. Um, if I'm aware of it, I, I would assume the PUC and ERCOT are aware of it. There's no financial incentive to build new base load capacity in Texas, natural gas or otherwise. So they could have you know, found ways to provide that incentive and have chosen not to do that. So that's, that's the issue right now is, is just the return on investment from building new capacity in Texas is just not there. And that's what the legislature has to figure out what to do. The legislature and the PUC have to figure out a method of incentivizing baseload generation. And, and until they do that, none's going to get built. That's just our reality. Nothing but wind and solar is going to get built. So I, I just think that's the, the key to it. Uh, the legislature's got, they're in until the 1st of June. They got three months to figure it out. 
Uh, I assume working with the PUC and ERCOT, they'll do that. If they don't do that, then voters need to ask why. Well, I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've thought about writing a, a piece in the war room about this, David, I'm curious, you might slap me around. So I'll, I'll roll it out here <laughs> first. Help me out, help me out here. Um, if you look at states like Colorado, Oregon, Washington, with how they've legalized drugs, despite the fact that it's illegal or decriminalized, however you want to put that at the federal level, it causes them problems inside the state. They have to have ATMs and cash and all that stuff. But they've they said, okay, we're going to do this. Um, are we at a point, or do we need to consider a point um, where Texas looks at some of our energy policy, and says, you know what, we want to build a new coal plant. We're at, well, sorry, we can't worry about the federal regulation, or we want to build a new nuclear plant. The, the federal re- regulations are too draconian. Um, is that is that a viable option for Texas to consider to ignore some of these federal um, uh, oversights? Because you've seen, like Colorado and these other states, at least with you know drug legalization, the feds really haven't done a whole lot to to slap them down. Um, yeah. Ignore the feds on some of the stuff. Well, but, but the course, popular culture and the news media are all for legalized marijuana. Popular culture and the news media are not for new coal-fired power plants. That's and true. politicians and, and, and the uh, regulators at the federal level respond to popular culture and the news media. So I just think that, you know, while you would kind of hope state of Texas might consider moving in that direction. I think it's highly unlikely. Natural gas, you might, uh, well, I mean, you can get away with because combined cycle natural gas plants don't really have a problem getting the federal permit. The problem problem for, for natural gas in Texas has been lack of profitability, not permitting. So I, I just think if we're going to build new base load, it's probably going to be natural gas and, and the state has to figure out a way to incentivize it. Well, this news media source is for it, so <laughs> yes. they have one. Well, I understand, but the New York Times, New York Times Post probably are. No, the New York Times is not. I, I'll just leave it with this. I say um, my thoughts on this kind of grid stuff is that I wonder if we were starting over today, if we get if we could have a fresh start, how much more would we try to localize power? And so would you look at maybe the micro nuclear technology um, and say, okay, you know what, we can use this here's 20 years base load capacity for – in these type of areas, um, would we right. really do stuff a lot differently? And is, is that the larger conversation we need to have instead of trying to, so we, we had to repair, but in, instead of repairing for keep, you know, patching this thing up, say, okay, you know what, can we localize this a little bit more? I know this is not uh, feasible for all parts of the state, but localize it and make it a little bit more uh, sustainable. I'll, I'll let you get the final word there. Yeah. I mean, I wish we could. I, I, yeah, I'm like you, I would really love to see more nuclear be built in Texas. I mean, and I, it's just beyond my ability to comprehend why environmentalists worried about carbon emissions are against nuclear power. It just makes no sense at all. It's, it's irrational. It's an irrational fear that uh, parts of our society have about nuclear. But that obviously would be the most efficient and effective answer to this would be to build more nuclear. And I say that as someone who lives right next door to the nuclear plant or power plant. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Josh and I are, we're, we are, we're not afraid. Build, build, build some more nuclear <laughs> over here by us. We'll, I'm we'll, just 40 miles from it in, as the crow flies. So if there's a meltdown, I'm going to get affected too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, it's a 20 minute drive, but I think as the crow flies, we've got to be within by like five or 10 miles. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's right there. So, all right, Mr. Blackman, we will let you go with that. Um, Shell Mag, um, Forbes, DB Daily Update, anything else that you want to point people to? 
Uh, in the All Patch Radio, you know, we All do Patch that Radio. once a week. It airs Sunday nights on uh, KTRH in Houston and uh, other other affiliates statewide. And uh, we had, like I said, we had Christy Craddock on yesterday. And uh, the podcast is already available out there on iHeartRadio. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was good to get you back on. Um, as always, thank you, man. I enjoyed it. This goes too fast. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Thanks again for uh, David Blackman for coming on the show. As always, uh, a veteran in the industry knows a lot, and I uh, really appreciate some of his insights. Uh, a lot of learned a lot during that during that interview. So yeah. Great having also, him on. I mean, I think he's kind of like us on the hearing him trying to process are they liable or they're not liable. It, it's a problem. And, you know, I, just so everyone knows behind the scenes, we don't prep with David on what we're talking about. Um, generally, unless he has a piece like, Hey, I'm talking about this piece. So that was kind of an off the cuff answer. So um, what that's worth, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I, I think that, that, that issue is one that we, if you're a proponent of the free market you have to think through, you have to process and it's not, it's just not easy because the, the, it can go so many different directions. Um, and so what the government's role in that is and how they, how they're responsible. Um, you know, uh, so it's just complicated. I appreciate his, his insight on it. And again, I'd love to hear from the listeners. How do you think we should handle this? Because let's, let's all be honest here. The more government regulation that happens, the more insulated the power companies might be. Now you might argue that that might ensure we have power. Okay. That's, that's, that's a fine argument to be, but um, we have to kind of think through all that stuff, I, I believe, or at least I hope we do. Okay. Um, War Room. Josh, anything else? Sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, there's one thing, just as a reminder, just uh, for us to remember, I've seen some reports out there about if the wind turbines would have been winterized, then we wouldn't have had as much issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. And based on what I've seen, I don't think that's the case. I do think that having a winterized would have helped. Sure. Uh, but I don't think it would have provided enough energy to have prevented the blackouts. Um, and that would be one, the one thing I wanted to add, I, I wanted to ask him, but we just ran out of time. So, yeah. Um, I, well, I, so I've seen people have that debate, like, well, the turbines in this part of the world work when it's really cold. They didn't hear. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not a wind turbine expert, so I'm not going to pretend like I have the answer to that question one way or another. If you do let us know. Um, I, I would just say that there are sources like nuclear, that okay, the plants could freeze up, which happened in some cases, um, some stuff in Texas. But but there are sources that just run regardless of weather, and they are really, 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 really safe. Uh, and okay, yes, if you have a meltdown. But to my knowledge, uh, not a single person on U.S. soil has ever died uh, as a result of a nuclear meltdown. So um, that's a pretty good, pretty good track record. So. Um, warroomnewsletter.com, the warroomnewsletter.com will leave a link in the show notes for 30% off for a monthly or a yearly subscription. Help Josh and your boy out. Um, four years in, looking for a little support. Bring back Nate. Bring back Nate. Nate actually said he might come back, Josh. I don't know if you saw that or not. I didn't see that. I, yeah, he, I saw I saw that he missed oil and gas. Yeah. Uh, well, he said uh he said the other day that um he didn't say he wouldn't return. But you know what? We gotta we gotta get the campaign going to bring back nate or you know someone better than nate at least so um we'll be back again next week and who do we, we have a guest next week don't we let's see here hold on uh i should have this prepared it's wonderful wonderful um this is what gets us those five star reviews right here so next week we have on scheduled scheduled um who is it oh that's david blackman that's this week 
Um, oh, yeah, we've got uh, um, someone from Drilling Info, as we call them, or uh, Inveris. And so, Inveris. Yeah, Inveris. We'll be talking with them next week. And so, anyways, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time, keep climbing.